Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What up, Kids to Get Potters? Welcome back to the program. I'm your host, Sky Guasco. This is another episode of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast, aka TCK Pod. Very, very special episode today. We are celebrating the 400th episode of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. I started this up right before the season in 2018 with my good brothers. Uh, you know them as Curly uh, and Daniel. We've morphed into Lucas and Dwayne and Bobby and, and all sorts of guests over the years. Uh, but somehow we've made it to 400 episodes. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I can't thank y'all enough for being supportive. Today, I am extremely honored to have my personal favorite uh, analyst in the fantasy football world. I've been gravitating toward his work for many years and uh, also him in his personal life as well. So I'm excited to introduce and bring to you for the 400th episode, my good man, Mike Tagliere of the fantasy pros and I will bring him on in just a minute. Before we get going, I just again want to say thank you for everybody for the support over the last couple of years. Uh, This started as a passion project. I've been a football nerd my whole life and fantasy football since I was about 10 years old, but I started a podcast just to talk with my buddies and we've created a fan base and a follow and uh, it's been a lot of fun. So appreciate y'all for being a part of it. I do want to give a shout out to the Jersey Jungle and Bomb Banana before we get too far into this. You know how it is. I want to pay some bills and I want to give a shout out to our good friends. So before we get started with tags, I want to give a shout out to the Jersey Jungle. You can DM them on Instagram at the Jersey Jungle. Use the promo code TCK to receive 10% off of one or two jerseys, 15% off of three jerseys. You know how we do this. The Julio Jones behind me is from Jersey Jungle. It is a beautiful jersey on the front side. You can see the Falcons emblem there of course i'm gonna have to get a titans one now but julio is one of my favorite players ever and i've got a bunch of other ones from the jersey jungle as well check them out tck for 10 to 15 percent off 65 bucks it costs 120 on nfl.com and then of course i want to give a shout out to bomb banana hot sauce new sponsor of the promo tck for 10 percent off of your first order bomb banana hot sauce banana based Hot sauce, not banana flavored. Shouts out to my good friends out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, putting this together. Seekthespice.com for the newest thing in hot sauce. Once again, bomb banana hot sauce, banana based, not banana flavored. All right, y'all, we buried the lead long enough. Let me bring him in. Once again, my man, Mike Taglier of the Fantasy Pros. Tags, it is an honor to have you on, brother. Thank you so much for joining us for the 400th episode of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. I was about to say, it's an honor to be on. It's a 400 episode. I mean, that's a that's a big milestone. I mean, to do 400 episodes requires a lot of commitment, and I, there's no one that understand, understands that better than me, so <laughs> kudos to you guys doing 400 episodes. That's awesome. I'm psyched to be on with you. I know we've been trying to connect for a little while, but uh, I'm happy it all, it all lined up, and, and we're here today to celebrate. I appreciate it, man. And uh, yeah, I just uh, uh, caught up on my fantasy pros last night and you're at 690. So I was thinking like, you know, if you guys take two or three years off and I keep going, then I can catch up. And uh, anyway, I'm I'm on your tail, though. How about that? I'm only uh, 300 (laughs) behind, but I appreciate it. Tags, once again, man, it's it's an honor to have you on. And today we're going to have some fun. We're going to break down some questionable players I've followed your work for for years. I've mentioned you on this podcast, probably every other podcast for four years and your work. I've cited your work quite a bit. And um, I just appreciate the way you go about things. And mainly it's it's just the integrity in which you do it. And, you know, no hate on anybody else. And of course, we're not throwing negative negativity to anybody else. But I've always appreciated your work and that clearly you're one of the hardest working people in the industry. But on top of that, you back up your takes with facts and research and, and just endless amounts of hours of working on the primer and, and your your articles and everything else. And before we get started, I just wanted to kind of ask you, what is generally your, 
ideal practice for going through a new article? You know, how, do you come up with things on your own? Does Fantasy Pros give you objectives to tackle? Like, what do you like to do and how do you go about it off the bat? No, when I when I was hired at Fantasy Pros, it was that uh, hey, we don't have a content team, and we want to we want to develop one, so we need someone to head up that department and kind of create a content plan. So they didn't have anything. So my goal has always been write the articles that I want to read personally. So any questions that I've ever had about fantasy football or football in general, I wanted to write those because I've now been afforded the time to be able to research them. Right where. A small thing like, you know, what is a dynasty draft pick actually worth? You know, a lot of people talk about dynasty leagues and they, they talk about the value of, of future draft picks and how much a first round draft picks work. I, I never wanted to take that for granted just to say, well, people say that this is what it's worth, but does it actually mean what it's worth? So to be able to, to, to have the time to go back through, you know, 12 years of data and say, hey, I can find the actual answer to that and tell you the career that you're most likely to get when you trade for a high first round pick, for a low first round pick, for a third round pick, whatever the case may be, I'm able to do that stuff. So it's basically whenever I meet someone, I start talking fantasy football with them. I'm like, is there an article or, or a question you have out there that you feel like it's not it's not answered in an article because I think I've finally gotten to the point where I've written about everything that I've questioned because that's just how my mind works. But mm -hmm. at the same time, that doesn't mean there's other people out there that don't have similar questions that maybe it's just phrased in a different way or, you know, presented in a different way. So it's always I always write about the things that I want to learn about myself as a fantasy player. I love that. And that's a great way to dive into things because then you're kind of on your own page and you don't necessarily, which is kind of a good thing, I think, is you don't have a reference necessarily on what you're doing. So everything you bring is organic to yourself and it becomes all kind of raw data there. And I, I appreciate that about you. That's awesome. Let's get into some questionable picks here. Um, again, these are players and I'll just be totally selfish. 400th episode. You know, I've got you on here. These are these are players that I'm personally kind of on the fence about. And of course, all these players we're going to mention are great. They're they're draftable players. These are players you're going to have on your rosters. It's just a matter of when and where you're willing to draft them. And some players I'm more excited than you are about, and vice versa, according to rankings here. So we can dive into this and have just a couple couple notes on each of these players here as we get through uh, the rest of the show. So once again, if you're tuning in on YouTube or Periscope, I have Mike Taglier here of the Fantasy Pros. Feel free to jump in the comments if you'd like to while we get going here. We're celebrating episode 400 of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast today. All right, Tags, let's start up here with uh, with my, my man, Justin Herbert. So you, I'm sure, are unaware. I live in Eugene, Oregon. I live down the street from Autzen Stadium. I watched Justin Herbert every snap at University of Oregon. I watched him in high school at Sheldon High School down the street as well. I'm a huge fan of this kid as a, as a person um, and obviously as a player. Came out of nowhere last year to people that weren't really paying attention. Obviously, top six draft pick, so he didn't come out of nowhere, but behind Terod Taylor, comes out and lights the league on fire this year. ECR has him at QB8. You have him at QB10, and he's getting drafted at QB6, so he's kind of all over the board. How do you feel about Justin Herbert this year? I like Herbert. I mean, it, what he did last year, what he overcame, you know, by starting week two and Tyrod Taylor, you know, legitimately, you know, an hour before the game gets ruled out with a punctured lung uh, to step in like that and play the way that he did. Justin Herbert exceeded all expectations. And then when you go back and you look at the Chargers offensive line and say he did it behind that offensive line, it's even more impressive. Uh, with that being said, he finishes the QB nine last year uh, while throwing 595 pass attempts. That's that's quite a bit of pass attempts. It was, you know, I don't want to say he was tops in the league, but he was towards some of the league leaders. This is a Chargers team that had a lot of setbacks on defense last year or injuries. So when they come back, you know, they, they changed their head coach, Anthony Lynn. Him leaving presents something that's unstable. And when you're spending a quarterback, you know, a top six 
quarterback pick, which is where he's going in ADP. When you're spending something that high, you can't have any questions about the performance that you're going to get. So Anthony Lynn leaving an offensive-minded coach, now being offensive coordinator with the Lions, then you have a defensive-minded head coach coming in. I've done studies on this. This is one of those things where I always go back to say, okay, what does it mean when a team switches a head coach? What is it, you know, historically, what does it mean uh, when they change just an offensive coordinator, just a head coach, both of them, whatever. When you bring in a head coach and a new offensive coordinator, on average, the last time I did this study was last year, I want to say offenses average 32 fewer pass attempts on average. Wow. And again, that doesn't mean that that can't change because you have someone like Cliff Kingsbury comes in, he's going to throw the ball more. You, but but in general, on average, that's what happens. So when you have a defensive-minded coach coming in, it's something you do have to worry about. This defense was built. They have playmakers on it. They probably want to run the ball quite a bit. They did draft another running back to add mm-hmm. to their stable of running backs. I just feel like there's question marks surrounding Herbert, not necessarily the talent, but more so who he's going to be throwing to. He loses Hunter Henry. Mike Williams and Keenan Allen have had troubles throughout their career staying healthy. There's really no depth behind those guys. Yeah, they drafted Josh Palmer, but really we don't know a whole lot about him. Jared Cook coming in because of Lombardi's offense. I don't like Jared Cook very much. So it's just there's so many moving parts with Justin Herbert. It presents a level of instability that I really don't want when I'm picking a quarterback that, again, when you're taking him at QB6, you're relying on him to start pretty much every single week. I just don't know if we're there with Herbert just yet. Okay, fair enough. I appreciate that rundown. I'm excited about the offensive line. They do. They did increase the offensive line a little bit this year, which I think will certainly help. And hopefully the Chargers have had a tough time on defense the last two years being injured. So if they're healthy, coming back in. But I agree with you. One thing that I am confident about with Justin Herbert as far as learning a new playbook and getting used to a new system, which can really tank uh, rookies and younger quarterbacks. We saw with Alex Smith, of course, number one pick, and he had seven offensive coordinators in eight years with my Niners. It was really tough sledding for him. Justin Herbert had four offensive coordinators at the University of Oregon as well. So he had different playbooks every single year, essentially. So he's able to kind of take that and also a very, very bright kid as well. All right, let's move on to Jalen Hurts here. Uh, last year only played a few games, of course, and then was uh, mysteriously benched at the end there. ECR QB 10 tags. You have him at number nine and he's getting drafted at 10 as well. So you're pretty much right on par. I just want to get your take here on Hertz. He's he's someone that I'm close on par, um, but I so it's almost like back to the Lamar Jackson thing. Remember when Lamar Jackson broke out where we knew that his passing wasn't really up to snuff going into that MVP season. Everybody talked about it, but we also talked about his mobility and what it presented as a fantasy asset. When I did projections this year, Jalen Hurts came out as the number six quarterback. Now, am I going to rank him number six? No, but it's similar to what Lamar Jackson did back then because he was being drafted, if I'm not mistaken, around the QB 15 range uh, in that year where people, but some people were calling him a breakout candidate. Some people willing to take him as high as public QB 10. Jalen Hurts, some people are willing to go up to QB6 to to draft him because of the rushing upside. Uh, You add Devontae Smith to this offense, all of a sudden it's like Nick Sirianni comes over. Is the Frank Reich playbook, is that what was working uh, for the Eagles when he was there? Was it, you know, Doug Peterson seemed to bring this offense down. There's so many things that are going, everything was negative going towards Jalen Hurts last year. He didn't have any wide receivers. His coaching staff was trash. The offensive line was injured throughout. So when you say, all right, there are variables. There's things that are changing similar to Justin Herbert, but all the things that are going for Jalen Hurts are positives. Uh, there's nothing that can negative that can come from that. Nick Sirianni can't be any worse than Doug Peterson was for this <laughs> offense. The offensive line can't get any more injured than it was last year. Uh, the pass catchers are certainly better than they were the year before. Jalen Rager should be healthy. Uh, Devontae Smith, again, coming into the league, this guy is the most pro-ready wide receiver. You can talk about his weight. You can talk about all those things, but there are ups. There's upside here. Dallas Goddard, another year into his career, they're probably going to move on from Zach Ertz. But in reality, it all comes back to the rushing upside. Uh, so him, again, projections QB six. Okay, I'm 
I get it. But at the same time, am I willing to rank him that high or draft him that high? Probably not. But if you want to tell me you're going to draft him around QB eight, I have no issue with that. Yeah, and if he hits that, if he hits that ceiling, and he has that rushing upside that Lamar has, uh, and Kyler, we've seen obviously, we know that that obviously will amplify him. Let's stay here with the Eagles and and get into our running backs. Let's go with Miles Sanders here. My co-host and I, uh, Bobby Lamarco, and I go back and forth on Miles Sanders constantly. I'm lower on him than consensus. I'm way lower than Bobby is, and Bobby's done a great job. We have a section on the podcast here where we do player spotlights, and he chose to do Miles Sanders and made a great case for why Miles Sanders could potentially exceed expectations. Unfortunately, We've tried that the last two years. Now we might have a new system here with and everything else and Jalen Hurts opening up lanes and all these other things. Tags, you're lower than ECR and he's getting drafted a spot higher than you have him as well. So are you confident that Miles Sanders can break out, if you will, or are you kind of fading as well? Yeah, well, Doug Peterson was a guy that was always holding back running backs in terms of snap counts, you know, things like that, where Miles Sanders, once Doug Peterson left, it was like, okay, is there a chance that we actually see a workhorse running back, Miles Sanders? Because he did look good down the stretch with Jalen Hurts under center. But at the same time, you now, again, Nick Sirianni coming in from that Frank Wright coaching tree. This could be very much a situation like the Colts where you have, you know, Naheem Hines is kind of like the Kenneth Gainwell. Uh, Now you they they add uh, on Johnson from the Lions, and he could be like the... Marlon Mack, and then you have Miles Sanders as the Jonathan Taylor. Uh, There's a reason that Jonathan Taylor is falling in my rankings a little bit just because of the coaching philosophy and the way that they use running backs. Everything the Eagles have done to this point with Nick Sirianni there as the head coach now screams that they want it to be a timeshare. Kenneth Gainwell was the best receiving back in this draft class, and it really wasn't even all that close, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Miles Sanders is a good pass catcher, but again, you need him to be utilized in the passing game in order to justify ranking him even anywhere close to RB1 territory, and it just seems like that he's not going to get there. This team even signed Jordan Howard again before they ended up getting on Johnson, so they clearly wanted some somewhat of a three- or four-man timeshare in that backfield. Boston Scott's still there. He's still Mm -hmm. a a relevant pass catcher, I guess. He's probably going to fall down the ranks, might not make the roster, But again, it just goes to show they have so many different names in this depth chart and they were still adding. They were the first team to line up to get uh, on Johnson when Detroit cut him. So uh, I have moved Miles Sanders down my rankings. I do think he's talented. I think that he he's deserving of a three down back role, but it really comes back to the offense. Is this going to be a high scoring offense? I don't really want to go there just yet, but even when they do have a chance to score, Jalen Hurts might be one of the better goal line running backs, quarterbacks, uh, you know, in the league. So you start losing upside with Miles Sanders in that aspect. So again, I think I'm comfortable with him as a mid to low end RB2. And you kind of hope that he gets that workhorse role. But as of now, I just can't expect it anymore. Yeah, I agree with you. And when they started, I mean, Jordan Howard doesn't scare me necessarily. We'll see if he even makes the team, but he's yeah. he's at least been in the franchise a few times. Carry on Johnson again. I don't think anybody can trust him at this point. Unfortunately, he's one of my favorite players in his draft class coming out of Auburn, but he's just been beat up, obviously. It, it just it's depth they're bringing in they're bringing in bodies and sometimes that just means maybe they take Miles Sanders off on a third down or a goal line or a short and this and it's just a couple fewer players uh, per game obviously is going to take away that upside and we don't need to get too big into this but you can look at the three big runs that Miles Sanders had last year in two ways either he has the ability he can do that more often if they give him more opportunity or they were just essentially broken plays. He got lucky, and they happened to be against the great defenses, and that's kind of where I lean just because of the rest of his other career efficiency. Okay, let's talk about another uh, questionable running back here. I know you're excited about him. I am as well. Let's talk about the first running back off the board here in the NFL draft, Najee Harris of the Steelers. ECR 16. Tags, you have him all the way up in your top 10 at number 9, and he's getting drafted at about 16. So the public 
and the expert consensus ranking have him about, you know, a middle RB2. Tags, you've got him all the way as a, a bona fide RB1 and then some. You don't draft a player like Najee Harris to the Steelers roster as it sits right now, unless you're dead set on using him in a workhorse role. You don't. Uh, we have a history of this team using workhorse running backs. They wanted James Conner to play that role. He just couldn't stand up to it health-wise. Le'Veon Bell, I mean, Le'Veon Bell, we've seen what he's done outside the Steelers organization. I don't think any, I don't think we need to talk about that in depth. Najee Harris coming from a pro system at Alabama, showing the ability to handle a big workload, ability to create yards on his own because he's not someone that is going to rely. Le'Veon Bell is not a tackle breaker. He was someone that relied on an offense, an offensive line that was going to create some room. He needed the ability to have patience. That was Le'Veon Bell's best attribute. Najee Harris, one of his best attributes is that he's a three down back and he can create yardage on his own. So I understand that the Steelers offensive line isn't great like it was with Le'Veon Bell there, but at the same time, there's going to be plenty of room for Najee Harris to create on his own. And they're using him as a receiver. They're going to line him up at X wide receiver. Ben Roethlisberger's talked about this, that they need to utilize him in the passing game. And we've heard the coordinator talk about, they're going to do what Ben wants. That's basically what it comes down to. And he's turned into a check down passer. This all benefits Najee Harris, who's going to get 20 plus touches. So many people are going to compare this to last year, to Clyde Edwards, Hilaire and all that. And, and they're going to say, they're going to use that as a reason not to draft Najee Harris as a, is a, as an RB one this year. Good. <laughs> Let them pass on the value that's there. Like that's basically what it comes back to. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was the RB eleven through the first yeah. six weeks, and that was while scoring just one time during that span. If he had scored just one more touchdown, so if he scored two touchdowns in six games, all of a sudden we're talking about him as the RB six in fantasy football, and he wouldn't have been considered a bust. Mm. Then they add Le'Veon Bell, then the touches dissipate. Whatever. Even though Clyde Edwards-Hilaire missed, I think it was three full games. He finished with over 1,100 total yards. I mean, the, the guy wasn't a complete bust. It was just based on where he was drafted. Do not let one slight mishap like run you off the road when it comes to rookie running backs. Rookie running backs are brought into the, the league. They're, they're used right away. I've done studies on this. This is one of those things where it's like, hey, is there a misconception about running backs, tight ends, wide receivers, about when they first come into the league and what we should expect to them? Running backs are in their prime the moment they walk into the NFL. If Najee Harris isn't an RB1 this year, he's probably never going to be an RB1. So it's like if you have him ranked as a top five dynasty running back, which most people do, why wouldn't you have him in anywhere close to that tier when it comes to redraft leagues? I, I He's another one where it's like, we ha- when it comes to players that are unproven, I do think we have to bake that in. So when I did projections, Najee Harris came in as my RB6. That was it felt too high. I'm not going to I'm not willing to go there because we haven't seen him do it in the NFL just yet. But that just goes to show you it keeps you with a level head. It says, okay, my expectations are not too crazy, but I put him at RB eight, RB nine. That's where I have him right now. And I feel pretty confident about him because, again, you can get him in the second round that allows you to take either a top one of your top running backs in the first round or the top flight tight end wide receiver and then pair him with Najee Harris, who's going to finish as an RB one, as long as he stays in the football field. I really like the comparison to CEH or last year, obviously totally different offenses, different running backs, frankly, as well. But CEH's issue was he wasn't a goal line back. He struggled on, on the goal line. So they started handing the ball off to Tyreek Hill, frankly, and they were giving shovel passes to Travis Kelsey. We know there, so they were taking away those touchdown upsides. I think that uh, Najee Harris will be able to, to get those uh, accomplished quickly before we move on from the Steelers. How much of this offensive line makes you nervous? Obviously, they're not the Steelers' offensive line of old. They were completely rock solid for 
20 plus years and uh, now they're just not and they have big ben at 38 years old with an arm and a half and we'll see what happens with him and four i think very capable wide receivers they bring in Fryermuth, the team with ebron i mean they're loaded all over the field that's my only pause with Najee harris although i love the player and the situation with the steelers does this offensive and clearly not you have him at number nine but just your thoughts quickly on the steelers offensive line no, the offensive line is a question mark. It's a big question mark. For me, it's more of a question mark about Roethlisberger, who has absolutely zero mobility, who doesn't yeah. want to take a hit at this point in his career, who's come off arm surgery. There's just a whole bunch of question marks about Roethlisberger and that and how it funnels down to his pass catchers. You could be worried about Chase Claypool 100%, especially when it comes to this offensive line, because he's someone that relies a little bit more on splash plays. Juju benefits from this. Um, Najee Harris benefits from this, because again, these are guys that, that are going to get the dump off passes. And that's why you've seen Deontay Johnson you know, average was it like 6.3 yards per target last year. That's a joke. Deontay Johnson's very, very good at football, but it all comes back to what Roethlisberger's limitations are. And again, in the NFL at running back, what you're chasing is volume. Passing volume can change. You know, I do an article that's going to be coming up. I think next month is when I release it. It goes through actual opportunity. So based on where running backs get their touches, you know, where on the field they get them, how many of them they get, the red zone, a carry on the 50-yard line is not worth as much as one on the 20-yard line. It's not worth as much as one on the five-yard line. I go through every touch of running back, wide receiver, quarterback, tight end, get all season, and I figure out who has the most expected points, who overperformed their expectations, and all those things. Running backs are almost always aligned with their opportunity. Yes, they're going to shift a couple of spots. You might see plus four, minus four, but wide receivers, those are all over the board. You're going to see plus 12s, plus 15s, because people are hyper-efficient with their targets. Running backs, you follow the opportunity. Najee Harris is going to get tons of opportunity. You'll see plenty of running backs, like even uh, Christian McCaffrey, for example. He's someone that his offensive line in Carolina was not great uh, during like his 2019 season. It wasn't, it really wasn't great. Uh, but again, he's, he's just such a talented running back. He's used in the passing game in that three down role. The opportunity is just massive. Do not pass that up with Najee Harris. Great call. Let's move on to our last uh, running back here and we'll dive into a couple of receivers. Cam Akers. Running back 11 ECR tags. You have him down at 15 and he's getting drafted at 11 as well. I am uh, a little bit lower on cam makers as well. Clearly an incredible talent, uh, but a lot of question marks in uh, Los Angeles for me. And frankly, I just love Matt Stafford being over there. So I'm wondering if that's going to take away a little bit there. I'd like to hear your thoughts on cam makers. It could take away, but it could help. Uh, yes, they're going to throw the ball more with Matthew Stafford because it opens up the playbook for Sean McVay. But at the same time, they're going to score more points. So mm-hmm. scoring more points is never a bad thing for the running backs. I'm really torn on Cam Akers because there's a lot of people tell me that I'm an idiot when it comes to him because they're like, oh, this guy, you should at the end of the year, he was getting 20 plus touches, this and that and this and that. And then I was like, you can't compare people from one offense to another and, and compare their numbers. You just can't do it. But when you have two guys in the same team playing the same role at different points in the year, you can. So Daryl Henderson and Cam makers if you were to put their numbers next to each other daryl henderson was actually the more efficient running back in this offense i'm not saying that daryl henderson's gonna have this job listen to me there and people are saying okay so do the numbers now when cam makers was healthy i could do the same crap with daryl henderson guys because <laughs> daryl henderson was hurt towards the end of the year that's why cam makers ended up getting that 20 touch roll against new england in that thursday night game new england looked like crap that game by the way it was almost like they just did not they didn't show up for the game mm-hmm. if you go back and rewatch that one cam Akers had holes the size of texas yep. to run through so again i'm a little scared to to fade acres because if that is his role it's so valuable you know we talk about that with Najee harris those 20 touch rolls in a high scoring offense like the rams is going to be but at the same time i'm <laughs> i'm old enough to remember before last season when sean mcveigh stood there and said 
I want to create my rushing attack modeled after Kyle Shanahan's. Yep. He said that and he followed through on it. And they drafted Cam Akers in the second round just a year after they drafted Daryl Henderson in the second round. They had Malcolm Brown on the team. And now they didn't resign Malcolm Brown. So Jake Funk, he's not going to fill that role. Mm-hmm. So now we're talking about a two-man timeshare rather than a three-man. It's worth more than it was before. And everybody wants to go back to Todd Gurley. Did we not see what happened to Todd Gurley when they ran him into the into the ground? Do you think yep. they want to do that with Cam Akers? I don't know. Like, there's a lot of question marks about this. And I do want to be attached to Sean McVay's offense because I think now with Stafford there, you're actually going to see what he's capable of doing with an offense and not being limited by Jared Goff's arm strength. But when it comes to drafting a running back, you know, as a top 10 option where some people want to do it with Akers, I just feel like you're ignoring that there could be some potential blowback from that just based on what McVay's wanted to do and what he was forced to do last year because the running backs were just injured at different points of the season. Now, if we step back a little bit, I don't want to digress too much here, but something I'm just thinking about right now, you think about all these Lions running backs. We've been saying since Reggie Bush, nobody's rushed for a thousand yards, yada, yada. Obviously, that has to do with play calling in like the Lions and not Matt Stafford per se, but Matt Stafford's ability to throw deep and have a vertical offense when... (laughs) Some people are somewhat healthy in that on that team for the last decade. Do you think that at all takes away from Akers again? Because we're going to dive into to Cup and Woods here in just a minute. But I did my player spotlight. I just mentioned Bobby did his on Miles Sanders. I did one recently on Matthew Stafford. I, I've loved the guy anyway. I like him as a competitor. I think he's a great player. He's been in a bad system. But I get more and more in love with him the more I dive into it. And his his upgrade over Jared Goff statistically is unbelievable when you look at the numbers yeah. and his ability to run, uh, throw downfield, his accuracy downfield, his accuracy mid range, and these two receivers who are two of the best in the NFL at yards after catch. So they're obviously going to run the ball. And if they want to be the 49ers, then the 49ers run the ball, arguably, you know, some of the best in the NFL. So I could see that happening. But that drives me away from Cam Akers a little bit. I like him as a player, and I think he definitely has huge upside if he can score. Um, but Todd Gurley was amazing, but he caught a lot of passes for a running back and he scored a ton of touchdowns. I don't see Cam Akers scoring that many touchdowns. So a back end RB1, sure. But I think the hype on him right now is is getting a little out of hand in redraft, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I, uh, I'm i really curious, like there's the d- dynamic on Matthew Stafford coming from playing with guys like Calvin Johnson and then Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay. These are all fantastic contested catch receivers. Stafford has shown throughout mm-hmm. his career that he's willing to throw in a tight coverage. He will trust his wide receivers when he finds one. I don't know if the Rams have that guy. You know what I mean? Like Robert Woods is not a contested catch receiver. Cooper Cup is a very good receiver, uh, but he's not that guy that you throw it up to and say, hey, I'm going to trust you to win 50-50 balls more often than not. Um, Van Jefferson, Deshaun Jackson. Uh, these are none of these two two at well. That's a <laughs> terrible pick. Um, but that's the part where it's trying to figure out this offense and how it's going to work out. Like Matthew Stafford's never played in an offense like this. So, mm-hmm. you know, can he be unleashed? Maybe. Is it possible that Cam Akers benefits from the fact that he doesn't have that go-to option in the red zone that can win those con- contested catch receptions? Maybe. Uh, so Akers is one of those guys that I worry about fading. I really, really do. Yeah. Just because I know I know the upside's there for him to finish as a top six running back. Yeah, it is absolutely possible. But, you know, I he's kind of one of my guys that I'm I'm – you know, willing to take the stand and, and eat it kind of. Uh, so we'll see what happens. All right, let's turn the page a little bit. We're going to come back to uh, some of these questionable picks, but there's a chunk of wide receivers. There's team teammate debates that I wanted to run through with you. Let's let's just stick with the Rams here and go with Woods and Cup. My question here is, I see this pop up on the screen. Is this who I would rather draft at their ADP or who I would rather draft, period? 
Yeah, take take it either way. Um, I think that those are different conversations. In my yeah. opinion, I always kind of think it depends on the player and the situation. If you're just like, um, so for example, for the podcast listeners that can't see the screen, Woods is going with the ADP wide receiver sixteen. And this is all PPR for everyone listening. Um, and Cup is going at uh, wide receiver 20. So tags, for example, if you just say, look, I just love Cooper Cup regardless, period, and I'm getting a deal, great. Or you could say, hey, I love Woods, but Cup is the better yeah, you know, quote unquote deal. They're only mm-hmm. four picks apart in this case, but you know, take it, take it either way. It's more just, you know, these are two great wide receivers and we're going to go through about eight of these pairings here throughout the NFL. I would love to have either one of these guys on my team throughout this mm-hmm. entire conversation. It really comes down to, is it the ADP that draws you? Is it the upside? Is it the volume? Uh, is it the age gap? Whatever it is with these particular players, we'll stick with the Rams here and start with Woods and Cup. Again, Woods going ADP wide receiver 16, Cup at wide receiver 20 in PPR. Tags, who do you prefer either way? I'll take Cup at wide receiver 20, just because I think that the upside is more tremendous with him. We've seen him perform as a top five fantasy wide receiver before. Robert Woods is the consistent guy that his price has come up. Like Robert Woods, I liked him a lot more when you were able to get him around that wide receiver 25 range because you're like, Hey, he's going to outperform expectations. He's going to finish around that wide receiver 15 to 18 range, and you're going to feel great about it. But then it's like now all of a sudden he's up at wide receiver 16. It's a little too pricey. You're almost drafting him. I don't want to say his ceiling, but close to it. He's getting up there in age a bit. Cooper Cup, wide receiver. Again, he is flash top five potential. He's great in the red zone. He's going to pair well with Stafford. I think he's going to turn into Stafford's favorite weapon. I totally agree. And I, you know, I don't want to get too excited about. OTA hyperboles, but it is nice. It is nice to see, you know, a new quarterback and a new wide receiver making some nice plays at practice. And I know it's practice, but Cooper Cup has made a couple great red zone catches on the sideline already. And it's good to see them getting that rapport. But in this case, I love both Woods and Cup, and they're both two of the cheaper, highest upside wide receivers. I think you could find again because of that yards after catch. All right, let's go with another popular bunch here. We'll go with Amari Cooper. I know you've been a, a, a longtime supporter of Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb, the new hotness here last year. Of course, Dak goes down, so we don't know what would have happened with CeeDee Lamb last year. Cooper going at 14, CeeDee Lamb going at 18. Which one do you prefer this year? Oh, straight up, I'll take Cooper. I think that they both can finish as top 15 wide receivers this year. Uh, Lamb benefits from playing in the slot. Uh, Lamb benefits from Amari Cooper, period. Cooper's not in this team. CeeDee Lamb is not nearly as efficient as he is. They've talked about moving CeeDee Lamb out to the perimeter a little bit more this year, which it could be worrisome because that was always the part where I didn't know how it was going to translate from Oklahoma to the NFL because the jumping competition was going to be so massive. Whereas, you know, going to the slot, which he only had last year, he only had eight targets that were not in the slot, which tells you that basically he was slot only. He was essentially Cole Beasley and he's better than Cole Beasley. And he's <laughs> yeah. uh, basically you're asking, you know, backup cornerbacks to defend him you're asking sometimes safeties you're asking sometimes linebackers to defend someone like cd lamb that's why he was so damn good with those targets and that's why he's going to continue to be good because amari cooper will demand attention michael gallup will demand attention mm-hmm. so when you have dak prescott throwing as many touchdowns as he's capable of throwing maybe dial back some of his rushing totals this year which allows for more receiving touchdowns lamb has double digit touchdown upside um so therefore he can easily get into that wide receiver 12 conversation like the top 12 wide receiver conversation whereas amari ever since he got to dallas people think that he's like this big boomer bust wide receiver because of his oakland days it's no longer the case amari cooper has been so consistent ever since he's gone to dallas that he's a borderline wide receiver one that's basically where he's at so he's the consistent one that you could rely on kind of just week in week out whereas cd lamb's more of the upside pick and dynasty lean lamb yeah, and Dynasty is definitely Lamb just because he's so early in his career. And Amari, Amari's still young. What is he, like 26 maybe? 
I mean, he's yeah. like, it, it's an, it's insane of what he accomplished, how young in his career he was, but we don't even know where Amari's going to be because there's no way Dallas is going to be able to carry the contracts of these guys. They had to have learned their lesson when it came to Zeke and then giving Amari that big contract. Yeah. I think Amari's locked into the Cowboys this year. I think that there's maybe an out after this year. He won't be with the team after 2022. We know that. Um, so again, you have to kind of factor that into your dynasty ranking. So it's definitely Lamb and Dynasty. One wide receiver uh, that you've stood up for recently, which I appreciate because I love him and I loved him coming out of Clemson is Mike Williams. So I think everybody's forgetting about with the Chargers. We're not going to dive into the Chargers and Mike Williams on this particular conversation, but I wanted to bring up another wide receiver that I was super bullish on coming in. He's been great when he's had the opportunity, but he's kind of forgotten about in this bunch. And you mentioned him, Michael Gallup. Um, is Michael Gallup worth, in your opinion, with Dak back in this offense? And we saw him in spurts, deeper threat, yada, yada. Is he worth at least maybe a quote unquote sleeper pick to see what happens in, you know, if one of these guys were uh, to get hobbled a little bit or something like that, do you think Gallup is worth rostering late in drafts? He's one of those rare guys that you could say he's like a wide receiver handcuff. And that one that, yeah, I agree. And one that you could use kind of during bye weeks, even if, even if there is no injury ahead of him, because uh, if you look at the Cowboys schedule, I did this new strength of schedule thing uh, where I looked through, I, I went through all 32 NFL teams and I ranked their cornerback units. Basically, all right, what is the toughest matcher, matchup? You know, Jalen Ramsey would obviously be the toughest mm-hmm. one for a wide receiver, all the way down to the best matchup that you could possibly have. Probably the Jets, maybe Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, I worked through it and I assigned them all values. And then I went through the schedules. The Cowboys have a brutal schedule. And mm-hmm. that tells me that Amari Cooper might have a tough time uh, because he's going to see all those number one cornerbacks. So Michael Gallup, will he benefit from that? CeeDee Lamb will benefit from that. Um, Amari's good enough to beat those guys on his own because he is that talented. Sometimes when you're looking, sometimes when you're looking in the 12th round or so, you're taking flyers anyway. And <laughs> Mike Williams is definitely a guy that you've mentioned. Um, and I've loved his play. He just can't stay healthy. Yeah. But Michael Gallup, too. I mean, again, like even Andy Dalton, we saw one particular game and then a couple other deeper throws. Uh-huh. And I know there were like single plays and maybe they're flukes and all this other stuff, but he's a hell of a wide receiver and he's a good athlete. And Dak, I think coming back will will have more fluidity with him. And he's just somebody that I'm kind of just like. Why not have a wide receiver six if some of your other guys get injured or bye weeks, as you mentioned, a rare wide receiver handcuff? He's just someone that I think people have just completely discarded. And I, I just wanted to get your opinion on that because I'm, I am still like the player and well, the situation, I guess. Wide receiver 52 and ADP. Like I just looked at that. I just wanted to see where he was going, just get a feel. Because like sometimes they fall that far, and I'm like, eh, did I have the great? Mm-hmm. He finished, I think, as a top forty wide receiver last year with Dak gone for the majority of the year, playing mm-hmm. with you know uh, ro- rotational quarterbacks. Michael Gallup's in a career year uh, on a contract year. Yeah, so exactly. Another thing that you could think about is if the Cowboys. If their roster doesn't turn into what they hoped it would be this year, maybe if they're not a contender, maybe you see Michael Gallup traded around the trade deadline. Um, I think that's possible because they're not going to be able, again, he's another guy that they're not probably not going to be able to afford to keep next year. So you have to start looking towards the future. Uh, I do like Gallup. I, I, he's, he's been kind of the field stretcher for this team, mm-hmm. oddly enough, which really wasn't his role in college. He was kind of a do-it-all receiver, I guess. But at the same time, I never envisioned him to have over 15 yards per reception in the NFL. (laughs) But that's what he's doing with Dak Prescott. And if he's going to continue playing that role, he's going to have some splash weeks. You don't want to rely on him every single week. But having him on your bench as a wide receiver four, that would get a massive bump if there were an injury to Lamb or Cooper. Absolutely. Awesome. Good. I'm, I'm glad. I just either wanted to hear you say that or like, no, Sky, you're crazy. But <laughs> <laughs> that sounds better. All right, let's move on here. We'll get back to the Steelers and uh, we'll go with Juju and Claypool. So 
Obviously, Deontay Johnson is a part of this, but in my opinion, and correct me if you feel differently, Deontay Johnson's in a league of his own with these three, and then it's going to be Juju and Claypool. And Washington is the fourth, but he's another guy that I think could be like a deep 15th rounder. Why not pick? But that's maybe a a deeper conversation. But Juju and Claypool here, Juju Smith-Schuster, wide receiver 27, and Claypool going right behind him at 29 here. Uh, How do you feel about the other Steelers, not Deontay Johnson? If you're drafting for stability, it's Juju. If you're looking for a potential breakout candidate, Claypool. I don't think that I think Juju's the, the idea of him being a top 12 wide receiver with Roethlisberger ever again. I just don't think it's going to happen. Mm. As for Claypool, can it happen? Sure, I guess, but I, I don't love it uh, in a vacuum. I think Juju's the better pick just because I think I'm getting more safety with him. Claypool, I just I'm losing my faith in Roethlisberger by the day in yeah. terms of like, you know, him getting older, losing arm strength, watching as the year went on. I went and looked through his stats as the year progressed. It wasn't like a steep decline in terms of stats, in terms of what I thought it was. But I remember watching all the games and I watched them and Roethlisberger just he got worse and worse to the point where it's like this team really had to consider whether or not that he was going to be under under center for them in 2021. But the thing is, they really had no other options. They they didn't have a high draft pick. The backups in the team, they're terrible. They almost didn't have a choice. But if you watch the end of the year over the, the final quarter of the season, Roethlisberger just looked done. He just yeah. and again, these wide receivers, um, I'm do I did a study. It hasn't come out yet. It's going to come out next month, but I'm kind of working through all my spreadsheets right now. And I know I'm kind of like rambling here. I talked about, you know, what targets are worth from the 50, from the 20, the 10, the five and all that stuff. And based on where targets take place, who they're coming from, every target has a different value and what it's expected to produce. The Steelers were one of the worst teams in the NFL when it came to how their team produced. I'm I'm going to pull it up real quick just so I can tell you. Pittsburgh's pass catchers in general, when you add in the running backs, the wide receivers, the tight ends, uh, and you kind of look and say, what should they have scored fantasy wise? Well, they should have scored a lot. 81.7 81.7 more half PPR points than they did. Uh, they were the seventh uh, seventh worst team in football in terms of points over or under expectation. The, old, the teams that are close to them are Washington, Philadelphia, Denver, Chicago, the Giants, and the Bengals. So it, it, it kind of goes to show you these were all teams that had bad quarterback situations. And it goes to show that Ben Roethlisberger is severely dropping off. And that number... If I were to go back and do it only the second half of the year, I would I would assure you that it'd be worse because he definitely got worse as a quarterback. So don't want to be associated with the Steelers as much as I thought I did. Mm-hmm. Deontay Johnson's going to be really good. He, mm-hmm. You might be able to buy him at a discount in Dynasty after this year. But again, the quarterback situation is just that's what's going to hold back this team. Do you think they go with uh, Haskins moving forward or do you think they just start over? I think they're going to start over. I, yeah. I don't I don't think there's any chance they're going to bench Roethlisberger. I think that's one of those things where he was talking about retirement. I know Pouncey retired and I ser- I seriously thought Ben should contemplate it because I mean, the defense is in play. It's good enough to, for them to contend. And if Roethlisberger was good, can they contend for a Super Bowl? Yeah. But mm-hmm. with the way he played over the second half of last year, absolutely not. And it's like, he had to answer those questions himself. Maybe it was just rust. Maybe it was just him after the surgery, his arm warmed, wore down as the year went on. But whatever the case is, I mean, I was, I don't want to say I was surprised to see him come back, but the Steelers, I wasn't shocked to see them say, we're going to bring him back just because they don't have any other options. Haskins ain't it. No, I, I, I agree. And, and, uh, Filer and Villanueva are gone as well. We talked about the offensive line when we discussed Najee Harris, but certainly a concern. And you mentioned Big Ben was at least mobile ish when he was younger and, and was surprisingly agile actually for his size, but not anymore. All right, let's move on uh, to another non-mobile quarterback, but it clearly does not matter. Let's go with uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin here. Uh, Evans going at 13, Godwin at 17. Now, this is redraft PPR. I was actually surprised at this ADP because Godwin seems to have the hype, but Evans... (laughs) 
clearly had a great stretch throughout the playoffs there with Tom Brady coming back and the entire Bucks team looking to go back to back here. How do you feel about the Bucks wide receivers? I've always been known as like the Mike Evans, like hater people call him, <laughs> um, which is weird. I mean, I, I never said he was terrible, but I just never, I, for whatever reason, I just never wanted to draft him. Uh, I just mm-hmm. felt like he was very volume reliant. I watched a receiver that grew last year in terms of like maturity levels. Like Mike Evans grew as a wide receiver with Tom Brady. And I watched it happen as the year went on. And unfortunately, Chris Godwin didn't have the opportunity to grow with Brady because he was hurt for the majority Mm -hmm. of the beginning of the year, middle of the season. Uh, And Mike Evans and him developed some serious chemistry. And you saw Mike Evans as the year went on, get better and better as a fantasy receiver. There were some people talking about potentially dropping him in the middle of the year because like he was just touchdown or bust. It was Mm -hmm. like, oh, he's going to get 10 yards and score two touchdowns. Like you don't want to rely on that. Just let someone else have him. And then all of a sudden you see his numbers start to creep up further and further and further. Uh, He just gets it done every year in and out. Like Chris Godwin, he had the one breakout year, but outside of that, it's been like, okay, he's a really good football player but Mike Evans is the guy that's been around he's been doing it for a long time and again he's he earned that trust to Tom Brady I can't fade Evans anymore yeah, I, I think that's a great call. And it's it's so strange how the not strange. It was impressive how the Buccaneers went from like a pretty good team and it's Brady and we'll see what happens in the first half to just clearly the best team the rest of the season. And Gronk showed up out of nowhere. A B resurrected his career and yep. showed up out of nowhere. Godwin was was beat up, but when he was healthy, he was effective. And Mike Evans just went, you're right, two catches, two yards, two touchdowns, two these big games we remember with him and Jameis uh, the last couple of seasons. Yeah, so and the quite right impressive. answer, by the way, is uh, Antonio Brown at like wide receiver 45. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's the correct answer. You know, it's, it's that's funny you say that because, again, I wanted to find a pairing that were close. And a lot of these ADPs, yeah. as you know, are like neck and neck. So uh, Deontay Johnson is leaps and bounds ahead of uh, Juju and Claypool. So I didn't add him. And AB is far below Evans yeah. and Godwin. But Tags, I agree with you, and I'm glad you brought it up. The value there is in Antonio Brown. And just what, two years ago, he was out of the league. We didn't think we'd see him again. Last year was kind of a, and we'll see what happens. And Brady was basically like, look, you are going to be successful if you can just keep your mouth shut and play football. (laughs) And he did it. Clearly, he's resurrected that. So I agree with you. I'll take AB late and and take that upside. All right, let's go to two younger uh, wide receivers that should be stars for a long time in the NFL here with their quarterback as T. Higgins. And Jamar Chase, T. Higgins going at 31, Jamar Chase going at 34. Again, you could bring in the conversation of Tyler Boyd, who is the value in this trio, but going significantly later. So I brought in Higgins and Chase. I think both of them are values where they're currently at in this. Nice. I was just, yeah, I was just pulling this up. Uh, T. Higgins was really, really good last year. Uh, T. Higgins, 28th in actual opportunity. Tyler Boyd, 27th in actual opportunity. Mm-hmm. A.J. Green, 35th. So you had three wide receivers in this Bengals team that was missing Joe Burrow for like half the year. Mm-hmm. Still finished top 36 in actual opportunity in terms of expected fantasy output. So that's just that's massive. Uh, and now you take Jamar Chase and you say, Hey, this is a guy that Joe Burrow played with in his record-breaking season at LSU. They have built-in chemistry. T. Higgins, T. Higgins, if you go back to college, he wasn't really expected to be the alpha, I guess, wide receiver. He was more, he was like a deep threat. If you go back to to college, he could do other things, sure, but he was someone that stretched the field quite a bit. And now that you look at Tyler Boyd, possession style receiver over the middle of the field, Jamar Chase, a guy that can legitimately do it all. I don't know how we don't look at this duo and say, okay, who's the better prospect coming out? It was it was Jamar Chase, and it's not mm-hmm. even close. Jamar Chase is one of the best prospects we've seen in the last 10 years at wide receiver. And that's no slight against T. Higgins. T. Higgins was a baller. He was a football player when he came out. He didn't test very well off the charts or anything like that athletically, but he was a baller, and the game just came to him. And I think it showed once he got on the football field. But Jamar Chase 
face is just a different breed. And again, knowing he's coming into the league with that built-in chemistry with Joe Burrow, knowing that Joe Burrow went to bat and said, hey, don't give me the star left tackle. Give me my wide receiver. Yeah. He wants Jamar Chase and his team. Both these guys are going to get targeted. I have them both ranked as top 25 wide receivers right now in my rankings. So I like them both. I, I think I I think I prefer Jamar Chase slightly, but they're both going to be good. Yeah, awesome. And in redraft. And then again, you could just make the argument that you take Tyler Boyd two rounds later as well and and look at that upside. I'm just I'm just looking forward. Whoever to gets those AJ Brown or AJ Brown, excuse me, AJ Green first six week targets. <laughs> whoever could capitalize on those, that's who I want. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to my Niners here. Brandon Ayuk stepped onto the scene and exploded last year. Debo Samuel's been on and off the field the last two years. Ayuk going at 25, Debo going 10 later at 35. I thought that was kind of surprising in redraft here. How do you feel about the 49ers wide receivers? This is a this is one I can tell you I have zero clue. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I mean, it's one of those, it's, it's rare that I'm kind of like, I don't know just because like I put so much time in to try and figure these things out, but there's so many variables with this with like, how long does Garoppolo start? Uh, how long does it take Trey Lance to enter the conversation? Debo Samuel to me, it just feels like he's going to be this generation's Jarvis Landry, a guy that's continually underrated in fantasy football. He's not going to win you a fantasy championship, but he's going to be just sturdy, steady performer mm-hmm. week in, week out. Uh, I believe he's a reliable football player. I didn't want to draft him last year because anytime a, a wide receiver or pass catcher is coming off foot surgery in the same calendar year, avoid them. I've legitimately, I've done, I didn't do an article on it because it's really tough to quantify, but basically everything that I came across, it just seemed like the if you had a wide receiver that had surgery on his foot, that calendar year like major surgery avoid them that year and you were fine and then you attack them the next year because they're going to come at a discount that's kind of where i'm at with debo right now Hmm. um at wide receiver 35 i am more than happy to have him as a wide receiver three and then kind of see what happens from there brandon Ayuk benefited from a lot of things last year um there were just so many injuries in this team with debo samuel out with george kittle out raheem mostert was out they didn't run the ball as much as they did the year before so it's like you start looking at all this stuff and you're like Ayuk was a really good football player like i it's 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 difficult to move him down in my rankings just because he did flash and you know in the opportunity that he was given but at the same time that opportunity is not going to be there again it's just not they were manufacturing touches for Debo Samuel when he was in the lineup even with Ayuk so this is a situation where I'm probably not going to own a whole lot of Ayuk but it's not because he's not a good football player it's just more because there's just different mouths to feed in this offense and I just don't know how pass off and how pass heavy this offense is going to be once Trey Lance takes over because it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. I agree with you. And again, I'm a 49er fan, so I watched them more in depth really than anybody else. It is going to be interesting because they're run heavy anyway. Yeah. In your opinion, uh, let's say Jimmy, let's say they play eight game or I guess it's 17 now. Let's just say they play half a season apiece, Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance for whatever reason. Which quarterback do you think benefits? The wide, so not the run game, but benefits the passing games, Kittle and wide receivers overall. Is it Trey Lance and the mobility and the playmaking and having extra linebackers key on him and things? Or is it drop back Jimmy who can sit there and just kind of dink and dunk throughout the field? It's probably Garoppolo, to be honest with you. Mm. I can't see them putting Lance in there, who's considered a somewhat developmental quarterback, who doesn't have... It's kind of like a Trubisky scenario, right? Where you had Trubisky out of college, who I think started 13 games in college, if I'm not mistaken. That's like Trey Lance. And the last time we saw him on a football field, he didn't look particularly good. You know, that that 
that showcase game that he was having in 2020. But again, it was just one game. It could have just been an off day for him. There's still questions about, you know, does he does he take more time to develop than some of the other quarterbacks in this class? It's possible. Um, so I would say Garoppolo, who, by the way, his numbers, if you, like went on the field, Jimmy Garoppolo's numbers in terms of average yards per attempt, which is a very it's a stat that if you look at the top tier guys, they all are up there. Garoppolo is one of the better quarterbacks of all time when it comes to like average yards per pass attempt. Uh, he's been very efficient. Now, again, he's not flashy, but you don't need flashy. And that's for your wide receivers. You don't need that. But for a fantasy quarterback, you obviously do. But I would say that Garoppolo probably benefits the wide receivers a little bit more, whereas Trey Lance would benefit the run game and just the overall potential of the offense, I guess. But I don't think there would be as many pass attempts. Let's move on to the Broncos here and then we'll get into uh, two more and then we'll move on. Let's go with uh Cortland Sutton coming off of an injury last year, of course, and Jerry Judy in his second season. Sutton going at 28 and Judy going at 38. This, again, was surprising. Maybe it has to do with the quarterback, question marks. But for Judy, I think, has the hype. But ADP does not reflect that right now. And people, to my surprise, have not forgotten about Cortland Sutton, who I think, again, aside from the injury, I think is an incredible young talent at wide receiver. We'll see what happens at quarterback. But how do you feel about Sutton and Judy this year? I'll take Judy at the discount. uh, But here's the thing. Judy's going to move up. That's going to happen. Like he's going to move up the rankings because there are a lot of analysts that are pushing him. Uh, Sutton is, I think Sutton's around where he should be, but Judy should be a little bit higher. But my answer to this question will change depending on who's quarterback. If Drew Locke is the quarterback, you want Cortland Sutton. He's the guy that's a gunslinger. He's willing to throw it in a tight coverage. He kind of locks onto one man. He doesn't scan the field very well. I've said this on our podcast before and I'll say it on yours. You could make a highlight reel out of the times Jerry Judy didn't get targeted last year when he burnt his man in coverage. Yeah. Jerry Judy can make men look silly on the football field. Yeah. Uh, but if you get Teddy Bridgewater, he's more of a guy that throws in rhythm. He waits. He, his, he wants his wide receivers to be open. He waits for them to separate. Jerry Judy is going to be the major beneficiary of that because Jerry Judy is one of the better separators in all of NFL, like already. He's already that good. It's something that Calvin Ridley had. So Calvin Ridley, while he bene- does he benefit from Julio being on the field? Yeah, he probably did a little bit. But Calvin Ridley was able to get it done when Julio was off the field because he's just that good Jerry Judy to me was a bigger Calvin Ridley and I was a big Calvin Ridley fan like I have a Calvin Ridley jersey in my closet I love Calvin Ridley Jerry Judy is just as good it's just his hands are more questionable sure but we'll deal with drops in fantasy football we're perfectly fine there we just need better quarterback play to know that this team was willing to target him as much as they did last year I do like Judy I'll take Judy at his ADP which is 10 spots lower and uh two points there to, to capitalize on First of all, Stefan Diggs, when he came out and he was kind of overshadowed by Adam Thielen early days in Minnesota, people kept saying reception, perception, and all these other things were kind of saying like, this kid is quote unquote, Antonio Brown worthy in running routes. And people were like, okay, like this kid's not Antonio Brown. Well, three, four, five years later, maybe, maybe he is, you know, and he got his opportunity and he got a a efficient quarterback in a deep throw. And we saw what he did in Buffalo this year with arguably the worst accuracy quarterback just a year ago, Josh Allen takes a step. So does Stefan Diggs. And on top of that, again, having, having Teddy Bridgewater, you know, kind of waiting for his wide receivers is going to benefit there. I said, you know, Darnell Mooney was another wide receiver last year who I saw kind of consistently burn his guy and just couldn't get the ball in the right place. These receivers get the ball on those uh, opportunities. They're going to be impressive. Let's go to the Browns here, man. I know this one's kind of a, it's kind of tough to (laughs) tough to deal with here with Odell and, and everything else. I've heard you talk for years on the potential of Odell and just the frustration, frankly, and the consistency and undervaluedness of Jarvis Landry for years as well. So how do you feel currently 
about Odo Beckham, who apparently, according to Landry, looks amazing after his leg thing in practice so far. 26 for Odell, basically, I'm sure, on, on name brand at this point. And Jarvis Landry, again, nearly outside the 40s here at wide receiver 39. This is PPR redraft. How do you feel about the Browns so far? I think they're both properly valued, to be honest. And I thought Odell was going to be higher in my rankings until I did projections and realized there's just not a whole lot of volume available for them in this offense because they're not going to stop running the football. Nick Chubb, you don't want to stop running the football. Mm-hmm. With the way they built their offensive line, with the way Baker Mayfield benefits off running play action in a, in a strong run game, that can't be understated. So they're not going to have a whole lot of targets available. But with that being said, Odell Beckham has been really good when he's on the field. <laughs> it's If you were to guarantee that Odell Beckham was going to play all 16 games, I would draft him ahead of wide receiver 26 because his talent suggests it. Uh, But we're at the point now where you can't automatically assume health. I never try and and draft based on discounts or anything like that. Um, Injury discounts, because I don't, I don't think you can predict injuries. I, I, mm-hmm. I just think it's you're playing with fire at that point. Uh, but Odell's talent, he's still a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL. Like there was a there was a last year, I think it was week one uh, against the Ravens. People were talking about Odell after the game because he didn't have a good game in terms of statistic wise. I went back and watched that on game pass like every single target. And I said, go back and watch it, guys, because <laughs> I promise you it's the same player that we've always known. Like he's the same player. He's getting open. Baker was terrible. Baker mm-hmm. was awful for the first month and a half in Kevin yep. Stefanski's offense and then Odell got hurt and then Baker started to grasp the offense more and more they played through a couple of bad weather games but at some point you have to say was it just Baker getting more accustomed to the offense not comfortable in it and was he better without Odell yes he was but did it have to do with him trying to force the ball to Odell at times maybe but I think it was like maybe it was a valuable learning lesson for for Baker Mayfield and saying I'm not going to force the ball to anybody in this offense we're just going to take things as they as they are and I don't think Odell's going to to, to draw the attention that he used to from defenses. I think teams actually have to worry about the run game here. They obviously have Jarvis Landry, a guy that can get stuff done in his own right. So getting Odell as your wide receiver three, I'm on board with, because again, he's your wide receiver three. You're no mm-hmm. longer drafting him with one of your top three or four picks. You're drafting him, you know, maybe in the sixth round, seventh round is a guy that even if he doesn't pan out, you are not going to lose your fantasy league because Odell Beckham didn't pan out. But if he becomes OBJ, <laughs> that could be and a league winner, you right? Can help win it for sure. Yeah. That's 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 the idea. When you make any draft, any pick in your draft outside the first or second round, because they're be, yeah, everybody's being drafted at their ceiling essentially at that point. You want to have some built-in equity, and by drafting Odell as a wide receiver three, you certainly have some built-in equity. I like it. Uh, this one is not a teammate debate. But it is one that I want to hear your opinion on here. Calvin Ridley and A.J. Brown. They're going back-to-back in ADP, wide receiver 6 and 7, of course, on separate teams. But Julio leaves Calvin Ridley, joins A.J. Brown. I know you're a big fan of all three of these guys. How do you feel about Ridley and Brown now that Julio's in Tennessee? Yeah, this one hurts. This one hurts. To, I know. Like, uh, um, <laughs> I'll put you on the spot, man. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. It's, it's a good question, though. I'll, I'll take Calvin Ridley because A.J. Brown does have to share. He's got another alpha there. You know, does it help him in terms of like what he sees in coverage? Does it help the Titans from an actual football standpoint? Absolutely. Yeah. But it doesn't help him generate those targets we were hoping he'd get this year because Arthur Smith is gone. I do anticipate this offense to throw the ball more. Their defense is in complete rebuild mode. So I think it's a team that can actually surprise in terms of volume uh, from the passing game. But at the same time, it's A.J. Brown and Julio. I mean, it's Julio freaking Jones. It's right. not it's not like, oh, we, Josh Reynolds came in. How many targets is he going to steal? That was a dumb conversation. But Calvin <laughs> Ridley, there's nothing. Russell Gage yeah. is not stealing Julio. He's not getting anything. Kyle Pitts, sure, he's, he's a talented rookie, but he's not walking in and getting 140 targets. He's not Travis Kelsey. Stop it. 
Calvin Ridley, and every single time that he's gotten targets, I do this in the primer. <laughs> when I when I go through and I, I talk about Calvin Ridley, whenever Julio is out of the lineup, I would show people the game logs to say, hey, because there's always people that are going to question it. They're going to say, well, with Julio out, Calvin Ridley is going to struggle. You know, it's kind of like the Juju Antonio Brown conversation, but except Calvin Ridley is really dominant. Like he's really good in his own right. And so I'd put the game logs there and I'd say, these are the games that Calvin Ridley has played without Julio Jones. And you just happen to see stud that's love he's it. just a stud that's all he is so knowing that he's locked in for 140 150 plus targets calvin ridley and of course we're not fading aj brown so people no. just you know relax uh it is just right. that they're going to be neck and neck and a lot of people i've you know in mock drafts constantly i'm in this predicament and it's one and i love them both they both have tremendous upside there is a world where each of these guys could be potentially the wide receiver one and you want that upside, obviously. So yeah. we're just saying one or the other. You mentioned Kyle Pitcher. We don't need to spend too much time on this. Um, I do want to get to a couple other questions while we have you. And again, Mike Tagliere, I really appreciate your time, brother. This is a big deal for us celebrating 400 episodes with you. Um, any more, maybe a sentence or two quickly on Kyle Pitts coming as a, as a rookie tight end. Uh, ECR tight end six, you have him one lower at seven and getting drafted at seven. Pretty much everybody has him in the same area, but maybe a sentence or two on Pitts. Yeah, just understand that if I, I know why you want to take him as tight end four or tight end five, I get it and all that stuff. But understand that if you take him there, he has to finish there. Mm-hmm. There's no equity built into that. It's it's saying he's going to break out and there's no ifs, ands or buts. And where you're being where you're, where you're being forced to draft him at that point, in the third or fourth round, you're paying for it. And, you know, it's not Odell Beckham that you're drafting in the seventh round. It's someone you're drafting in the third or fourth round that can cost you that fantasy championship if you miss on those picks. So for me, it's just gotten out of control. The hype, the hype is a little too far. And I. I like Cal Pitts. He's my favorite. He's the yeah, favorite tight yeah. end I've scouted. Uh, but at the same time, he's still a rookie tight end. Now let's go to one more tight end here, and then we're going to get into some fun categories. Logan Thomas. So not you know not an exciting name per se, but I put him in here because I want to give a shout out to my co-host Bobby Lamarco, who last year was one of the only people who had Logan Thomas legitimately like top twelve preseason. And I was like, dude, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he used to be a quarterback. He hasn't really done much, but he just kind of cycled through everything and, and realized the targets were there with Alex Smith and such. How do you feel about him? I mean, you've got him at nine. He's at ECR nine. You're on par. But ADP has him at six. Are they still going to target him? Last year, the big thing was Ron Rivera and Greg Olson, right? That's where Bobby kind of put things together where maybe the tight end, no matter who it is, will be big in this offense. Do you think it'll happen again with Logan Thomas? Logan Thomas, there was a point in last year where I don't have too much time to read all the blurbs that go on in between every single week. So I'm literally, literally trying to watch as much film as I can, trying to study as much advanced metrics as I can. So I don't get to read all the news blurbs. But there was one that I caught last year. It was right around midseason, maybe a little bit after halfway in the halfway point in the season. But Ron Rivera came out and he said something. They asked him is there someone that's light bulb has come on? He's like, and he said, he didn't waste any time. He said, Logan Thomas, like the light bulb has, has clicked. He's ready to contribute. Like, and, and from that point forward, Logan Thomas was a stud. And I thought when I do my rankings this year, I'm going to have a lot of Logan Thomas because I was going to be willing to rank him a lot higher uh, than others. But you bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick, a guy who over the course of his career hasn't really loved tight ends so much, but I was like, okay, I'll, I'll live with it. But then you get Curtis Samuel and it's like, all of a sudden there's more targets. Dami Brown, they draft him and it's like, oh, they're getting Kelvin Harmon back. So all these names are starting to pop up. They add Jared Patterson. Mm. Uh, he's someone I actually like a little bit is like a sleeper. Like if you can get him in dynasty, just kind of throw him on the end of your bench. I think he's going to eventually be JD McKissick's replacement in this yep. offense. They're talking about using Antonio Gibson more in the passing game. Rightfully so. He should be used more in the passing game. So it's like you start looking at all this and you say, Washington has a dominant defense too. Like their defense was one of the best in the NFL and that was into the first year of Rivera, they're only going to get better. Chase Young lived up to all hype. How many pass attempts is this team going to have? Now, you don't go, you don't 
go out and snag Ryan Fitzpatrick to have a game manager. That's not what he is. But at the same time, you're not going to have him throw the ball 45 times per game if you don't have to, because you have a defense that'll support it. So you start worrying about the targets and where they're going to come from. I think Logan Thomas is going to be perfectly fine as a low end tight end one, but I think he's lost a lot of that luster because I don't think that he can get close to the target totals that he was towards the second half of last year. Okay. I like that. Because again, if you don't go, if you don't go big at tight end, you either go in the middle tight end or you just kick it to the end of the draft. The problem is I remember two years ago, it was the big OJ Howard, Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, and every, each one of them busted. Yeah. And last year, kind of the same thing happened in that middle tier. It's hard to find that five, six, seven, eight guy. You either yep. go early or you go late is yep. really what it is. But Logan Thomas is in the sandwich. He's the meat, right? And maybe it works out there. So we'll see. All right, Tags, let's have some fun uh, questions here. These are kind of the nitty gritties, right? So you're on, you're basically on the draft board and you're thinking to yourself, who's a player that I'm trying to take everywhere. I got to get this guy. I'm either reaching because I just believe in it or he's on the board. I got to take him now. Who are some of the guys you're steering away from? Maybe some players you change your tone on. So I just kind of want to blast through these here as well. So who is a player so far that you seem to be drafting everywhere in your industry mocks, your actual leagues, dynasty leagues, whatever. If you have a different answer for redraft and dynasty who is it so in any position who was one player that you seem to be drafting everywhere this year earlier in drafts i would say it's clyde edwards Alaire. um later in drafts it's mike williams yes i i, I think edwards Alaire. it's the classic overreaction that people just drafted him as rb5 rb6 last year they were disappointed by that rightfully so uh but at the same time it's it's a different situation i think that the chiefs got literally smacked in the face in the super bowl mm. and it was like almost like a wake up it's 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 honestly similar to the bills and i hope that the bills their coaching staff takes a good look at what happened to the chiefs in the super bowl and says we can't go on thinking that Josh Allen can continue to just carry us every single week, week in, week out. You have to have a run game. The Chiefs know that. Andy Reid knows that. They kind of went too far in the other direction. I think it comes back. They didn't add anybody in the roster that I'm worried about taking away role, a role from Clyde Edwards-Lair. And he's someone that I can confidently project for 75-plus targets if he stays healthy. And that's a massive win for fantasy football. So Edwards-Lair, uh, he's definitely someone. And then Mike Williams is... Uh, He's going like wide receiver 50 in drafts yeah. or something like that. He's just he's someone I'm going to have so much exposure to. And I'm I'm more than OK with that. Awesome. Likewise, I agree with both of them. And Bobby just did a spotlight on CEH as well last week and, and came out came out pretty stoked. I told him you were hyped on him, too. So good news there. All right. Uh, let's go the the inverse of that. So who is somebody that you're maybe steering away from? Again, it's just ADP. They're too rich for your taste or you just maybe don't believe in the player or the system this year. The one player that I've gotten a lot of flack about is Jonathan Taylor. And it's not because Jonathan Taylor is not a good football player. Here's my deal. I think Nick Chubb's more talented than Jonathan Taylor, but they're similar running backs in the terms of what they bring to the table, right? Mm -hmm. They're 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 really heavy in the two-down skill set. Can they be used in the pass game? Sure. Are they going to be used very heavily in the pass game? Probably not uh, because of the surrounding talent. I just want to know why everyone is willing to say David Montgomery benefited from a late season schedule, but they're not saying the same thing about Jonathan Taylor. I've been beating this drum for the past Fair. couple months, and I don't know why no one's listening, um, because the first 10 weeks of the season, I had people legitimately questioning my ranking, saying, why do you even still have Jonathan Taylor in there? He should be droppable. He was droppable. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, And then all of a sudden... It's like things change at that time after 10 weeks of the season, which included, uh, I think, one or two performances from Taylor. Jonathan Taylor was the RB 19. David Montgomery was the RB 20 at that time. After 10 weeks of the season, Taylor finished the year as the RB six. Montgomery finishes the RB four. Again, everybody talks about Montgomery and the easy schedule he had. Well, listen to this. The, the schedule that Jonathan Taylor had, he played against the Texans twice, the Packers, the Raiders, the Jaguars. And the Steelers, who, by the way, were decimated by injuries at that point. It was a good game. Again, I'm not taking anything away from Jonathan Taylor, the talent, because I think he is talented. I was dressed, drafting him last year thinking he was going to be the star, starter over Marlon Mack. 
which wasn't even going to happen. We learned that week one. So it turned out to be a terrible call that ended up working out for me in the end. But still, Jonathan Taylor, just not enough involved in the passing game. I have him as RB11 right now. People are telling me that I'm crazy because of that. He's probably going to finish better than that. But it's more about where I would draft him. Like when I draft Najee Harris over Jonathan Taylor, give me a reason I shouldn't. Is it the Mm. offensive line? Because we could talk about offensive lines and like looking at running backs who finished is a top five running back with a bad offensive line. We could talk about guys with a top five offensive line that finished in the trash. It all comes down to actual opportunity and what they're going to get. Um, so Jonathan Taylor, like the player, hate where he's being drafted in the middle of the first round. But if you want to go a little bit further back uh, as someone that I'm probably going to stay away from, Kenny Galladay. I like Galladay. I don't like Daniel Jones at all. Oh, okay. You know, I talked about that stat in terms of opportunity that that pass catchers get and what they scored over under expectation. The Giants pass catchers last year scored over 100 points less than they were supposed to because <laughs> Daniel Jones is just not very good. <laughs> and unfortunately, can't uh, can't hold on to the ball. No. All right, Tags, I got a couple more questions here from you. I did want to uh, give a shout out again to my co-host, Bobby, who's been helping me out here uh, recently on the podcast. He had a question for you. Anything new that you found this year in regards to analysis? So again, it's no secret. You're one of the hardest working dudes in the business and uh, you break things down just beyond the average Joe, which we all appreciate. Is there anything this year? It's a, it's a, a new statistic, a new way of looking at things, maybe a preview to an article and obviously don't spill any beans. You don't want to yet, but you know, we're stat nerds on our side too. We pride ourselves on deep analytical statistical basis on our show as well. And Bobby more so than myself even. So is there anything in particular, a new stat or a new way of looking at things in 2021 that you've come across that you hadn't before? It's so tough because I've been doing this now for, this is my sixth year doing full-time football. So I've kind of done the articles that I really, really thought about that. It was like, Hey, how can I do this? And you know, the the one that I've been talking about on the show this, this time around is the expected fantasy output in terms of where the touches took place, where the targets took place, you know, how much was expected there. And this is the first time I've really broken it down by a team measure and there's certain stats that you go through and you say, okay, well, there's outliers in every stats, yada, yada. But if you see the best players in terms, like if you figure out a metric and you see the best players at the top, the worst players at the bottom, you're kind of like, okay, this is probably a pretty good stat in terms of like measurability. And like, can you rely on it? This, this stat that I did, I mean, I've done the article where I've gone through individual players and I talk about their opportunity and who's done better, who's exceeded expectations, who finished worse than them. I've never done it from a team standpoint and I'm doing that this year. Um, So I went through that and it's highlighting some things like Ben Roethlisberger basically has fallen off a cliff and he's no longer considered a positive. Um, mm. Cause like the, t- the teams that were the best in this metric last year, which were the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, the Vikings, Kirk cousins is continually undervalued as a passer. Yeah. Houston, Deshaun Watson, him leaving would be a massive deal or not playing, which seems likely uh, Kansas city, Seattle, that's Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Josh, Josh Allen, Tom Brady. Those were the best teams. Ryan Tannehill's right there too. But then you go to look at the worst teams, the giants, the Bears, the Broncos, the Eagles, Washington, Cincinnati was there. So mm-hmm. I didn't break this down with with and without Joe Burrow. So this could be a negative towards Joe Burrow. If I go back and look at it and say, all right, well, it just depends. It doesn't help that A.J. Green, I can tell you this. This is like a preview inside that. <laughs> A.J. Green scored 63 fewer fantasy points Ooh. than he was supposed to uh, in 2020, which heavily contributed to that number. So we don't want to take too much into consideration there. But basically trying to find... If you find a quarterback that's towards the bottom of those stats, it's not so much on the receivers at that point. You're wow. talking about a much greater sample size. And the Giants were one of those teams like the Giants. So every single pass catcher on the Giants, I'm talking about running backs, wide receivers and tight ends. Every single one of them, except for Dante Pettis, 
scored fewer fantasy <laughs> points than they were expected to based on the volume they received. Wow. And Pettis only scored 15.6 fantasy points. So it was yeah. a very, very small uh, sample size. But to know that every single player on the team that's a quarterback problem. That's not a that's not a skill position player problem. That's that's a quarterback problem. Wow, that's awesome. And I I'm looking forward to to diving deeper into that. Uh, another question here. Uh, my previous host, my original host, Ryan Para, aka Curly, huge fan. He and I have been listening to your work since you started at Fantasy Pros in 2016. Episode eight, by the way, uh, I dove back and, and checked that out. And episode 69 was the day that you came in as the uh, the co-host, which I thought was awesome. Um, there was some cool. There was some there was some cool nuggets in that episode that I, I re-listened. Too, and I want to talk to you about it another time. But you talked about like Brandon Cooks uh, leaving the Saints and 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 the targets. And one nugget in there you said was in the Sean Payton offense with Drew Brees, no receivers seen more than 132 targets at that time. And then Michael Thomas shows up <laughs> with 185 <laughs> a couple years later. I just thought it was it's just funny how these things age sometimes. Anyway, Curly Curly wanted to know he's a he's a car guy as well. And I have a couple personal questions, and we'll get out of here. I'll talk to you about music in just a sec. So you're a car guy outside of football, um, and Curly is too. And uh, he had a couple sweet rides in high school and things like that. And honestly, I'm not as much of a car guy, but he was curious, what got you into cars in general? Is it buying and selling? Is it car shows? Is it racing? Is it souping up? Is it building, restoring? What got you into cars in general? And, and what is maybe your favorite favorite part of just having cars in, in your repertoire of hobbies? I mean, it's so weird because I, I was not raised around cars. Like my family was not a car family. You know, I, my, my, my family was a sports family. And if you know anything about sports families, a lot of them aren't into cars. It's almost like NASCAR and like drag racing, like NHRA families and sports families do not coexist. They don't. Yeah. The only thing that got me into cars was almost like I'd watch movies and I'd see a car that was rear wheel drive. And seeing it fishtail around a corner, I just thought mm-hmm. it looked cool, you know, mm-hmm. as a kid. And I grew up thinking that. And I, I always try to talk my dad into, I'm like, hey, buy a Ferrari, buy a Lamborghini. I'll, I'll wash it for you every single day. My brother and I were like the type that we'd go on a family road trip and we would take our notebooks and I'd mark down every Mustang or Camaro or whatever I saw because I just thought that they were cool cars. Like, I just love that they were rear wheel drive and it's just it's something I wanted to do when I was able to get my license. So I got my license. I went and found people that were selling. I found someone that was selling a Trans Am, uh, a Camaro, and then I found a, a Mustang, a 5.0. And the 5.0 the Mustang was the fastest of the bunch with the smallest engine. The 302 cubic inch engine was much smaller than the 350 that was in the Trans Am and the Camaro, but it was moving faster. So it was just, even though that's the smallest thing that you could talk about when it comes to cars. It's it's something that drove me to the Mustang. So I was like, all right, I'll get a Mustang. And I just literally started surrounding myself with car guys and learning more about what to do because I didn't even know how to change oil at that point. I was mm-hmm. never taught. Again, my family took their cars into to get their oil changed at places. Uh, but then I started to learn to do things and then like put on exhaust and, you know, uh, eventually start switching out intakes and then move on into heads. And then th- this past year, I put on a turbo and I changed the entire computer in my car and I started getting into it. And what do I love most about it? The smell is fantastic. Cool. <laughs> um, I love the feel of the, like just the power, uh, just to know that you drive a car when it's stock and y- you know exactly how it feels. It barely chirps the tires. And then you have a car that I have now where I literally tap the gas while doing 45 miles an hour and the car <laughs> won't get sideways where it's just like the car has so much power. I can't keep it on the road. And there's a fine line there. And that's where the track comes in because on the street, your car can only be so fast. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter how wide the tires you put on there. It doesn't matter how much weight you put. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the suspension because again, on the street, it's just not going to hook up. But then you go to the track and it's like, this is where you can actually see the gains of everything that you've done. So, you know, awesome. that a stock Mustang 5.0 at the track driven stick by a professional is going to go 14, seven and a quarter mile. 
Well, if mine's going to do 10, nine, I've taken legitimately four seconds off that car by myself, wow. bringing it down the track. So my goal, like this car that I have now, it's, it's a 10 second car. My goal is to get into the nines. So I could just say it's single digits, but after that, it's just, it just becomes a headache. I know guys that have six second cars and That's to amazing. go, to go 200 plus miles an hour in six seconds is fun. Like I'm, I'm sure it's a whole lot of fun, but at the same time, those guys in between their track runs, it legitimately takes them two hours to get ready every single run because they have it's to amazing. get the car up in the air, check the rear end, check the like the suspension, change all the spark plugs. It's just so much work that that's the part where I think I would lose the love for it. But for right now, it's just it's a fun hobby where I can you can measure how far you've come. Wow. That's really awesome, man. Thank you for breaking all that down for me. I can tell your passion for it. It's really it's really cool, man. It's really cool. I, I appreciate that. Another passion of yours and the passion of mine outside of fantasy football and doing these shows is music. I've shared my story on the podcast a few times, but I've been a nationally touring reggae musician for 10 plus years around the country and played hundreds of shows and, and done done a lot of cool things. You and I share a band and uh, I was a huge Corn fan in middle school and growing up when they came out with Follow the Leader in 98 and Life is Peachy and self-titled before that. Just curious, you have one particular story that I think is cool. Your primer, which we don't even have time for me to get into, which I want to talk to you for like an hour about the primer, but we'll save that for another time. The primer somehow connected you with going to see Corn at a show can you give me like a two minute version of that? Yeah, it was like one of the coolest stories of my fantasy football career. And it's so weird how the primer did that. So I, I I told a story. I always try and tell a personal story at the top of the primer just to some it's a, it's an escape for me. It's a way to talk about something other than football, because in reality, during football season, I see my best friend. I see I hear from people I don't hear from all year and they, all they want to talk about is football. It yeah. gives me a chance to talk about something, not football. And I had told a personal cool. story and there was a picture that I posted of my daughter and me. One of my editors, he put it in the basically the intro he just put the picture of us and i had a corn shirt on and i had talked about jonathan davis and the fact that i was a corn fan before one day i'm sitting there like after that primer came out i was sitting at my computer and uh, my my mailbox from fantasy pros tells me i have a notification and it says regarding corn and i'm like what that's random and <laughs> so it's someone from corn's management company saying that Whoa. hey i heard i heard you're a big fan of the band and um Basically, I just wanted to reach out and say thanks for the support. You know, if you're ever going to a show or anything like that, you know, you ever and anybody need anything, you know, just let me know. Um, and I was like, well, I guess it's the time to shoot my shot. Uh, yeah. I was like, you know, I've seen Corn uh, at the time. I was like, I've seen Corn over 30 times live. I, I've seen them like I've been a fan legitimately um, since 95. I missed the <laughs> first year because, well, I was 12. I got into them when I was 13. <laughs> But I, I, so I'd seen him so many times I was like, but I've always wanted to sit down and like talk with the guys, you know, just like I've, I've mm -hmm. met, I've done meet and greets and things like that, where you kind of get a, a couple seconds to say, Hey, snap yeah. a picture or whatever, but I wanted to talk to him. Uh, so I was like, if, if that's possible, you know, I'd love it. So he ended up connecting me with their tour manager. It, it was, it was such a surreal experience just because like they, they, they took care of everything. And um, after the show, went backstage, met the tour manager. And I was like, is it cool if I talk with the guys? And he's like, yeah, let me go see if they're, they're ready. So he goes and grabs them. And they were the coolest bunch. Like they That's awesome. Sat down with me. I, my wife and I sat backstage with them just chatting, talking about life, kids and all that stuff for it was probably an hour and a half. Uh, wow and like legitimately it was just it was so natural there were a couple other people there that would say hey what do you do for a living and i was like i talk about sports and they were really interested in that you know even one of the guitar players monkey was like he's like you talk about fantasy football That's, for a living monkey's and, my guy that's awesome he's, he's great guy head yep. is, is one of the nicest guys i've ever met um but they're they were all great guys and they literally just took the time to just sit there and talk with us and like 
literally asked me questions about what I do, how I knew, how I knew Mark from the management company and all this stuff. And it it was surreal to, to be backstage with guys that I've, I really looked up to growing up, you know, for geez, it's been over 20 years now. Wow. That's impressive. And again, we're going to have to do another episode here. I want to do just a life podcast with you and talk talk music and, and other sports and things for a while because I've got a corn story as well that we're running out of time for. But I want to share mine with you as well. And I've been a fan from the beginning as well. My I go by Sky currently. Yeah. My birth name is Skylar, S-K-Y-L-A-R. And in middle school, in sixth grade specifically, I used to write my name on the top of the paper and I used to do S-K-Y-L-A backwards, backwards R on every single, one of my, <laughs> every single one of my papers. So I love that. Tags, it has been been an absolute honor, man. I appreciate you. I've literally wanted to do this episode for five plus years, 400 episodes in. We're still rolling, man. I'm very excited to have you on. Thank you for your time today. And before you go, I just want to give you recognition and appreciation. Um, I've been following your work for a long time. I follow a lot of people in the industry as all of us do. Uh, Your work resonates with me the deepest and the way you go about things with integrity and the hard work and the passion and the work ethic are all things that I value and I vibe with myself. And I try to also exhibit those traits. So I just want to say, I appreciate you. You are appreciated. And uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you on today. Last question before I let you go, other than family. So take family out, your kids, which again, we'll get into that another time. Get your kids out of the picture, wife out of the picture. What are you most proud of outside of family? Oh, man, uh, thank you seriously for, for all the, the words, man. I It means a lot. I, I wish I could do more stuff like this. I mean, and I tell people, I'm like, you know, I wish I could do shows like this all the time. I love just talking with people. Like it's just, it's, it's a great time, but at the same time, content has to get done. So Mm -hmm. it it limits it, but thank you so much. Proud to be on for the 400th episode. I can tell you that. Uh, But um, what am I most proud of is uh, there's, there's so many things people can do for you. My wife has pushed me and told me that I can do things that I didn't know I could do. Um, And it's one thing to have her tell you that and like, and to say, okay, I'm going to follow your advice, but it's another thing to actually say, I'm going to believe in myself and I'm going to push myself to do it. I'm proud of myself for getting over my doubts. Um, and there's still, there's still things that creep up all the time um, in terms of doubt and, you know, what you're able to accomplish. But uh, when you actually, you know, put your, your whole self into something and in you, and you believe, you know, it took my wife to push me to do it, but I am proud of the fact that I got past being a realist and saying, well, that's not realistic that, you know, mm-hmm. Getting past that is one of the toughest things to do for someone like me because I'm so like even in my analysis I'm so like I'm so level headed and I, I can see both sides of everything and I and I try and do that but I would never have this job if I didn't let go of that and uh, so I'm proud that I even though it took a push for it definitely took a push I'm proud that I I was able to let go. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm proud of you for doing that. It's hard to do. And I've had my own doubts and we're, I'm four years in and still trying to like monetize and get to a level and write for somebody and do all these things. And it's coming around the corner, but Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. I want to be the first to wish you an early happy Father's Day. Thank you, sir. Happy Father's Day to you as well. Appreciate it. TCK Potters, catch us next week. You can find me on Twitter at Sky Guasco and of course on Instagram, fantasy football underscore TCK Pod. Anywhere you listen to the podcast, leave a rate and review and subscribe right here on YouTube. Episode 400 in the books. Big thanks to my man, Mike Taglier of the Fantasy Pros. I'm your host, Sky Guasco. We are out of here. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, 
Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.